Hello and welcome to Mr. Shanks Expert Readers. We'll be beginning on page 274. The Black Death spreads across to Europe. To Europeans in mid-1300s, the end of the world seemed to come to have come. First widespread crops failures brought famine and starvation. Then plague and war ravaged populations. Europe eventually recovered from those disasters. Still, the upheavals of the 13s and 1400s marked the end of the Middle Ages and the beginning of the early modern age. The arrival in autumn of 1347, a fleet of Genoese trading ships loaded with grain left the Black Sea port of Caffa and set sail from Messina, Sicily. By mid-voyage, Sailors were falling sick and dying. Soon after the ships tied up at Messina, townspeople too began to fall sick and die. Within months, the disease that Europeans called the Black Death was raging through Italy. By 1348, it had reached Spain and France. From there, it ravaged the rest of Europe. One in three people died, a death rate worse than any war in history, a global pandemic. The deadly illness was the bubonic plague, a disease spread by fleas carried on rats. In the pre-modern world, rats infested ships, towns, and even homes of the rich and powerful. Bubonic plague had broken out before Europe, Asia, and North Africa, but had subsided. One strain of the disease, though, had survived in Mongolia. In the 1200s, Mongol armies conquered much of Asia, probably setting off new epidemic or break outbreak of the rapid di spreading disease. In the early 1300s, rats spread the plague in crowded Chinese cities, killing about 35 million people there. Fleas jumped from those rats to infest the cloths and packs, the clothes and packs of traders traveling west. As a result, the disease spread from Asia to the Middle East and then to Europe. Social upheaval. In Europe, the plague brought terror and bewilderment as people had no way to stop the disease. Some people turned to magic and witchcraft for cures. Others plunged into wild pleasures, believing that they would soon die anyway. Still, others saw the plague as God's punishment. They beat themselves with whips to show that they had repented their sins. Normal life broke down, and as people fled cities or hid in their homes to avoid contracting the plague from neighbors and relatives. Some Christians blamed the Jews for the plague, charging unjustly that they had poisoned the wells to cause the disease. In the resulting hysteria, thousands of Jews were murdered. Economic Impact As the plague kept recurring in the late 1300s, the European economy plunged into a low ebb. When workers and employers died, productions declined. Survivors demanded higher wages, but as the cost of labor soared, prices rose too. Landowners and merchants pushed for laws to limit wages. To limit rising costs, landowners converted croplands to land for sheep raising, which required less labor. Villagers forced off the land looked for work in towns. There, guilds limited opportunities for advancement. Coupled with fear of the plague, these restrictions sparked explosive revolts. Angry peasants rampaged England and France and Germany and elsewhere. In the cities, artisans fought for more power, usually without success. 
revolts erupted on and off through the 13s and 1400s. The plague had spread death and social and unrest. It would take Western Europe more than a hundred years to fully recover from its effects. The plague returned repeatedly during the Middle Ages and it into early modern times. Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year vividly chronicled the impact of the mass deaths in England in the 1600s. The Black Death contributed to the end of the medieval Europe by transforming Europe's economy and society. Although rulers were able to put down peasant revolts, in the long run, they did not succeed in limiting wages. With a shortage of labor after the Black Death, market forces gave peasants in Western Europe more bargaining power. They were able to demand higher wages. In addition, peasants were able to substitute the payment of cash rents for legal obligations of serfdom that had been the basis for of mannerism. The shift in a market economy in Western Europe brought the end of the medieval order and ushered in the Renaissance and the modern age. At the same time, landed nobles suffered from the loss of bargaining power to peasants. Because their incomes were reduced, they were less able to support knights and other fighting men. At the same time, the growth of a market economy supported a growth of the middle class of artisans and merchants in Western, in Europe's towns and cities. In kingdoms such as England, France, and Castile, kings were able to raise taxes from the middle classes in thriving cities to protect them and their trade from bandits and extortionate nobles. In this way, the Black Death led indirectly to growth in the power of the kings in the centralized states and the gradual breakdown of the feudalism. That was the key feature of medieval Europe. Crisis in the Church the late Middle Ages brought a spiritual crisis, scandal, and division of the Roman Catholic Church. Many priests and monks died during the plague. Their replacements faced challenging questions. Survivors asked, why did God spare some and kill others? Divisions in the church. The church was unable to provide the strong leadership needed to in this desperate time. In 1309, Pope Clement V had moved the papal court to Avignon, outside the border of southern France. It remained there for 70 years under French domination. The period is often called the Babylonian captivity of the church, referring to the time when the ancient Hebrews were held captive in Babylon. In Avignon, popes reigned over lavish court. Critics lashed out against the worldly, pleasure-loving papacy, and anti-clerical sentiment grew. Within the church itself, reformers tried to end the captivity. In 1378, reformers within the church elected their own pope to rule from Rome. French cardinals responded by choosing a rival pope. The election of the two and sometimes even three rival popes created a schism or divide in the church. This second great schism, like the earlier split in the eastern and western branches of Christianity, hurt the church and weakened its moral authority, contributing to the gradual and medieval Europe end of medieval Europe. Not until 1417 did the Church Council of Constance finally end the crisis. New heresies threatened the Church. With its moral standing and leadership in decline, the Church faced still more problems. Popular preachers challenged its power. In England, John Wycliffe, an Oxford professor, attacked corruption in the Church. Wycliffe insisted that the Bible, not the Church, was the source of all Christian truth. He supported the idea of translating the Bible into English so that people could read it. 
themselves rather than rely on the clergy to read and interpret it for them. Czech students at Oxford carried Wycliffe's idea to Bohemia, today's Czech Republic. There, John Huss led the call for reforms, supported by his followers known as Hussites. The church responded to these calls for reform by persecuting Wycliffe and his followers and suppressing the Hussites. The Huss was tried for preaching heresy, ideas contrary to the church's teachings. He was found guilty. He was burned at the stake in 1415. The ideas of Wycliffe and Huss survived. Their calls for reform had taken root in response to the worldliness of the church and feuds among its leaders. These reformers looked to the Bible rather than the pope or bishop as the source of Christian faith. In the next century, other reformers echoed similar demands, calling for the faithful to rely on the Bible and for the limiting the role of the clergy. This new reform movement would split the Roman Catholic Church forever and transform Western Europe. The Hundred Years' War On top of the disasters of famine and plague and economic decline came a long destructive war between 1337 and 1453, England and France engaged in a series of conflicts known as the Hundred Years' War. The fighting devastated France and drained England. Rival Powers, England and France English rulers had battled the four centuries to hold on to French lands of their Norman ancestors, but French kings were intent on extending their own power in France when Edward III of England claimed the French crown in 1337. War erupted anew between these rival powers. Once fighting started, economic rivalry and growing sense of national pride made it hard for either side to give up the struggle. Early victories for England. At first, the English won a string of victories. At Crecy in 1346 and Poitiers in 1356 and Agincourt in 1450, they owed much of their success not to bravery or more skillful knights, but to the longbow, a powerful new weapon wielded by the English archers. The longbow was six feet long and took years to master, but it could discharge three arrows in the time an art, a French archer with his crossbow fired just one. Its arrows pierced all but the heaviest armor. The English victories took heavy toll on the French morale or spirit. England, it seemed, was likely to bring all of France under its control. Then, in what seemed like a miracle to the French, their fortunes were reversed. Joan of Arc. In 1429, a 17-year-old peasant woman, Joan of Arc, appeared at the court of Charles VII, the uncrowned king of France. She told him that God was sent her to save France. She convinced the desperate French king to let her lead his army against the English. To Charles's amazement, Joan inspired the battered and despairing French troops to fight anew. In one astonishing year, she led the French to several victories and planted the seeds for future triumph. Joan paid for successes with her life. She was taken captive by allies of the English and turned over to enemies for trial. To discredit her, the English had Joan tried for witchcraft. She was convicted and burned at the stake. That action, however, only strengthened her value to the French, who saw her as a martyr. 
Much later, the church declared her a saint. Results of the Long War After Joan's death, the French took the offense with a powerful new weapon, the cannon. They attacked English-held castles. By 1453, the English held only the port of Calais and northern northwestern France. In the end, the Hundred Years' War set France and England on different paths. The war created a growing sense of national feeling in France and allowed French kings to expand their power. On the other hand, during the war, English rulers turned repeatedly to Parliament for funds, which helped the, that body win the power of the purse. England ended up losing its French lands, but that setback was not disastrous for them. With their dreams of a continental empire shattered, English rulers turned to new trading ventures overseas. Change and recovery. The Hundred Years' War brought many changes to the late Middle medieval world. The longbow and cannon gave common soldiers a new importance on the battlefield and undermined the value of armored knights on horseback. Although neither nobles nor commoners knew it then, feudal society was changing and medieval Europe was coming to an end. Knights and castles were doomed to disappear. Strong monarchs needed large armies, not feudal vassals, to fight their wars. As Europe recovered from the Black Death, the population expanded and manufacturing grew. These changes led to increased trade. Italian cities flourished as centers of trade and shipping. Europeans borrowed and developed new technologies. This recovery set the stage for further changes during the Renaissance, the Reformation, and the Age of Exploration.